Well, welcome to Grace, everyone. It's good to be with you. Thanks to those that are watching live online and those of you that are in the room. It is so good to be with you. My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the absolute privilege of working uh, with our teenagers here uh, at the Bath campus. And it's so fun to, to see even being with you guys here today. Uh, the band behind me were all former students of mine. And it is so cool to see that, but it also makes me feel so old. I don't get it. I can't believe how much time uh, has gone by. Well, guys, I'm excited to be able to continue the conversation that we're in in a series that we're calling God, Me, and My Inadequacies. Just want to remind you uh, that Pastor Jeff is uh, continuing to kind of make his rounds at our other campuses. He's kind of wearing his senior pastor uh, hat over the course of the next couple of weeks. And so uh, my time being on staff, I am blown away at how God is moving and seeing how just all the the, the life and the growth that's taking place in the Grace Church movement, it's crazy to think that it takes Jeff multiple weeks now uh, to cover all of the campuses. And so he'll be back with us soon. Uh, last week, Pastor Joe was with us and he kind of introduced uh, this, this series, right, of God, me, and my inadequacies. And what he helped us understand was this. He allowed us to see that each of us are writing our own narratives, right? We're each writing our own narratives. And what they are and what they do is they're influenced by maybe others in our lives, what's going on in our heads, our culture, right? And even some different like spiritual influences, our narratives are influenced that way. And I think it's important that we, you know, think about such things. And it's super important to even think about kind of who we are and what's going on inside of our minds, well, last week, Joe shared really some good news, right? We learned that God can actually rewrite our narrative that points us back to kind of the core of who we are, points us back to wrestling with the question of who am I? I thought Joe said it really well uh, last week when he said this. He said, when we spend the needed amount of time with God, the narrative of our false inadequacies is interrupted and rewritten. And last week, what he allowed us to see is when we understand the truth that God is a chooser, and we know that truth for ourselves and know that we are chosen, it allows us to grasp the truth of what God is doing in and throughout each one of us, all right? And to know that God is the chooser, you have been chosen by name and on purpose, well, as we continue uh, tonight or today, uh, what I want us to understand is uh, some of the weight that we carry within our narrative, right? Each of us carry this weight of, of kind of understanding who we are and kind of the inadequacies and maybe some of the insecurities that we carry will kind of influence our narrative one way or the other. Right? Some of those things or areas in our lives that will persuade our narrative one way or the other could be maybe decisions that we've made in the past where the consequence of that decision is still rearing its head today. Maybe it's past or current uh, relationship struggles that we're wrestling with. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's an addiction of some sort. Maybe it's an, a, a substance addiction or a pornography addiction that we just can't seem to kick. Maybe the area for us is the needing of approval from other people to feel adequate. Maybe it's the insecurities that we wrestle with, even to the very core of like who we are, and, and maybe the insecurities of, of how we even look, our physical attributes we wrestle with. Maybe some of these inadequacies aren't even our fault, it's from other people. 
maybe the pain or the, the things that we've experienced from others, we carry this weight as well. Well, whatever it is, whatever these inadequacies are, they're going to influence the way that you view yourself. They're going to persuade the narrative in our heads one way or another. And what these insecurities end up doing is it get us to think things about ourselves and we'll say things even out loud sometimes like, I'm not good enough. There's no way that I ever will be. Or we'll even uh, think to ourselves, if you only knew what I did, you would understand how I, there's no way I could be forgiven. Or we'll even get in our minds and we'll solidify and we'll lock in this thought that I am defined by my past. And I think the truth for all of us and the reality is that we're all in this boat in some way, shape, or form. When we allow these inadequacies to influence who we are. And we're all kind of wrapped up in this. And, and to be honest, some of this is even rooted within us back at birth. I, I, to share a story with you, I, I'm a father of two. I have a, a son, his name is Graham, he's four. And I have a daughter, her name's Willow, and she's about one and a half. And I love my kids, they're so fun. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very tired. They're at that age that get me running. But I'll never forget, a couple years ago, I decided to take Graham swimming for the first time. Uh, I have some family back in Pennsylvania and we were visiting them. And this would have been the first experience of a pool for Graham. And I said, buddy, it's gonna be fun, you know? And he was all like pumped up about it. He was excited about getting in the pool. And so I said, hey, this is what's gonna happen. I will get in first. All right, and then you can kind of jump off in, into my arms and I'll catch you and we'll make big splashes and it'll be great. And he's like, all right, dad, all right, here we go. And I remember being in the pool, you know, a couple feet deep and Graham is standing right at the edge and his toes are like curled and there is something that is not allowing him to jump, right? For some reason, he wasn't able to jump into my arms. And to be honest, I, I was kind of like, stuck there for a minute. I'm like, why won't he jump into my arms? Because up until this point, there was no reason for Graham not to trust me. There was no reason for Graham to be fearful of the water. I'm like, come on, buddy, you got this jump. And he wouldn't do it. And I think about what was going on in his mind in that moment that caused him to not jump. And I thought to myself, I'm okay, well, if I asked you to come up here and catch me right now, I understand what was going through Graham's mind, right? I was like, there is something that we go in our minds that prevent us to really bring action, right? Our insecurities, our inadequacies, the things that we cre create over the course of our lives influence who we are. And I believe it's so important to lock into who God is and allow kind of ourselves to see who we are through him rather than getting bogged down about the narrative that we're writing on our own. Well, last week, Joe kind of set us up uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter one. And this is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and we got a great glimpse of Paul's heart. There was a couple verses in uh, Ephesians one, verses 18 and 19, that kind of set up some, some overview, right? Give us kind of a, 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 a picture of Paul's heart in prayer towards the Ephesians. And I think it provides some, some great encouragement for, to, for us and really sets a foundation for a series that we're walking through right now. So Ephesians one, verses 18 and 19, Paul says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And so here, what Paul is, is, is encouraging us and what he was encouraging the Ephesians was he wants us to be enlightened. He wants us to know something. He wants us to get in our minds and grasp the truth and know about the hope that is found. And when we understand and connect our heart to God and we know the heart of God, what Paul is saying is that we inherit a glorious inheritance. We achieve this glorious inheritance when we understand that there's hope to be found. Well, last week we discovered that God is a chooser and that we are chosen. And so I want us to continue and kind of pick up where Pastor Joe left off earlier in the book of Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at verse six in chapter one here of Ephesians. And here's what Paul says. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. What we find in these verses is that God is gracious. And that grace, he gives to you and I freely. Well, how does he give it to us freely? Well, he does so through the one the one being his son, Jesus. And by Jesus, right, we get to experience redemption. We get to experience the forgiveness because of the blood that he shed on the cross. And I think what these verses do in, in the big picture is it allows us to see really the purpose at why Jesus came to this earth. Allows us to see the importance that we are needing to be freed from our past, that we're to be redeemed and forgiven. And this is only made possible through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Well, I look at this and I see the word redemption, right? Forgiveness, I think, is a term that we would uh, understand a little bit, but redemption, I, to me, is kind of a little bit of a churchy word, this word redeemed. I guess maybe we would use this word if we're redeeming coupons or something, it'll give us an idea. But redeemed, right, simply means to be bought back. And Jesus going to the cross was this act of grace that God lavishes on us when we least deserve it. And Jesus going to that cross ultimately was a transaction that he made by his own life for you and I so that we can be bought back, that we can come back to God when there was no other way. I don't know about you, but I, I find it uh, encouraging. I find hope in knowing that God is not done with us yet, that God is not done with me, that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, he wants and desires to lavish his grace upon us. He wants us to experience this redemption. He wants us to experience freedom from some of the bondages that we hold on to from our past. But here's the deal. Our insecurities right? Our failures, maybe the addictions that we're struggling with, you fill in the blank. All of these things, our inadequacies, create these voids in our life that cause us to not be able to experience that grace. But I want us to understand that these inadequacies continue to show us more and more the need for redemption in our lives. 
And so for our conversation today, what I want us to do, and encourage you to write this down, I want us to understand that Jesus is the Redeemer. And because of what he did on the cross that we learn in verse seven, that because of the cross, we are redeemed. And so that's what I want us to press into a little bit today. Because in God's eyes, the best is yet to come. His desire is for us to not write our own narrative anymore. He wants us to understand that he is gonna meet us where we are and begin rewriting the narrative for us. And so I think the best way for us to kind of get an idea, get a picture of what God's redemption is all about is by looking at an example in the Bible that I, I absolutely love, all right? I love this story because I think it paints a perfect picture of how God met this man in the midst of his inadequacies and showed him time and time again that he was redeemed. And so I want us to look at this character. His name's Moses. Uh, He's found in the Old Testament, the second book in the Bible. Uh, We're gonna kind of uh, spend some time in the book of Exodus, all right? And for the sake of our conversation, we have to do uh, kind of a high-level overview to get a heartbeat of where Moses is. Because if we wanted to stay here through the night, uh, I would walk this through with you, but we can't do that for time's sake. And so uh, I'm just gonna kind of give you an overview, give you a, a truncated version of what uh, Moses was experiencing as he was wrestling with his inadequacies, and yet God met him in the midst of those. All right, so here's a little background right in the beginning, and I encourage you, if you want some, some good reading for the week, spend some time in the first handful of chapters of Exodus, and you'll get a, a good idea of what he was wrestling with. And so here we have, before Moses was even born, all right, before he was born, uh, in Egypt, Pharaoh, overseeing, ruling Egypt, uh, made this decree, all right, that every Israelite boy would be killed at the time of birth. Now, Moses, before he was even born, he was, he was an Israelite, right? And so what we see is that Moses, all right, before he was born, has odds against him. So much so that Pharaoh was like, insecure even really about the the Israelites growing in number that he made this decree to kind of keep them at a certain size. And so here Moses uh, is now born. His mom gave birth to him. uh, And knowing that all baby boys were to be killed, his mom looked at him and saw something special in Moses. So much so that she chose to like, I don't know, keep him a secret. She kept him in hiding for three months before she realized that she wasn't able to do that anymore. The baby was starting to get bigger, louder, all of these things, and she knew that she had to do something. Pharaoh actually chose or said that, hey, uh, all of the children just throw in the Nile River, right? And so Moses' mom made a basket, placed Moses in this basket, hid him in the river. And a little time had passed, and Pharaoh's daughter actually found Moses there lying in that basket in the reeds of the river there. And Pharaoh's daughter looked at Moses and felt bad for him. And so she chose to take Moses in as her own and really adopt Moses. Well, she realized that she couldn't provide for Moses the way that his mom could. And so she chose to hire another Hebrew woman to care for Moses. And so she, she hired this woman, and this is a great, uh, another example of how God's hand was in this situation, because the woman that she hired happened to be Moses' biological mother. 
And so even Moses' mom was able to continue to help raise Moses. And when Moses got to this age where he was old enough to kind of fend for himself, live on his own, Pharaoh's daughter took him in. And Moses grew up in a, uh, an Egyptian uh, culture, right? A line of royalty. He was in line to Pharaoh. And you could imagine what was wrestling in his mind. Because he's like, all right, well, I, I, I'm an Israelite. I'm enslaved, right? My people are enslaved by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And now I'm, I'm growing up in this Egyptian culture. I'm like in line to the, to the ruler. I'm in royalty now. And so Moses, fast forward, is now an adult. And we get a picture of what's going on in Moses' life. We actually get a great picture of his characteristic of kind of who he is a little bit. Because one day as he looks out into the courts, he sees uh, an Egyptian official beating one of his own, the Israelite. And what we find as you read through this in chapter two and three, we start to get a picture of who Moses was because seeing that firsthand infuriated him. So much so that Moses went down and ended up killing the Egyptian official. And in that moment, he realized that what he did, because he's like, now my identity is in jeopardy. People are going to ask, well, why did you kill the Egyptian and not the Israelite? And so that fear started to get the best of him. It started to sink in. And what happened was he found out that Pharaoh is now upset. He's, he's furious with Moses. And so Moses decided to run. He ran and he hid in the desert for 40 years. And so to summarize this, we see Moses as being someone who was abandoned, not necessarily by choice, but by the circumstance. He was adopted into this new culture, right? We see that Moses was living this kind of like secret life. We see that he was easily angered, so much so that it led him to kill somebody, so he's a murderer. He lived on the run and hid in the desert for 40 years. So we're getting a good picture of who this guy Moses is. He was being held captive to his own inadequacies, some by his own doing and others just because of the kind of the hand that he was dealt when he was born. And so from our point of view, what we see is a man who's kind of neck deep in his own mess. But I love how God met him in the midst of it. God met him in the midst of all of his trouble. And as we look at chapter three of the book of Exodus, we find that God reveals himself to Moses through the form of a burning bush. Could you imagine being out in the wilderness and a bush on fire and the bush starts to talk, right? That's what Moses was experiencing in that moment. And, and here God is starting to kind of unveil this plan Right? He's starting to share this plan of what he had for Moses to actually be the individual who would lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And so here what we find is an abandoned, easily angered murderer was being chosen by God to be the one to lead the Israelites out of slavery. It wasn't God wasn't thinking about his past. He wasn't thinking about what Moses had done. He's looking at Moses and saying, listen, it's you. I, I, I choose you. I'm not worried about what you've done. Go, lead my people out of Egypt. 
Well, how did Moses respond? I think it's fascinating to take some time and see that Moses really wrestled with his insecurities. He wrestled with his past and his inadequacies. In fact, they, they kept him from eagerly pursuing what God was calling and asking him to do. And so I actually want to spend some time. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 3, it's page 46 there uh, in the Bibles in the chairs. And if you're at home, you can use uh, the Bible app. It's a great resource. All right, book of Exodus. We're going to park here in uh, chapter 3 for a little bit and so forth. All right, and I, what I want us to do is I want us to look at some of these excuses that Moses made every time God asked him to go and free the Israelites. All right, and what I want us to do is specifically look at how Moses responded responded to God, and then how God responded back to Moses, all right? And so Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start there in verse 11, where we are introduced to the first excuse that Moses makes. All right, here's what he says in verse 11. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What Moses is basically saying here, and the excuse that he's making, I don't know where it went. That's not good, all right? And so here's the excuse of what he's saying. He's like, I'm not adequate enough. He's like, why God, me, right? Who am I that I should go? And immediately God responds. He's like, Moses, hold on a second, all right? The very next verse, God looks at Moses and says, listen, I will be with you. Just go. But, but why me? Just go, Moses, it's going to be fine. And so he hears that. Moses is like, okay, okay. But yet another excuse is made by Moses. And here's the second one in verse 13. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And so he already doesn't feel adequate enough. And now the second excuse comes to mind. And he's basically saying, God, I don't know enough. What if they start to question me? What if they really start to press in and I'm not able to answer or I don't have the right words to share? Right, well, God, I love this response. And if you have your own Bible here, circle this, highlight it, put a sticky note, I don't care. This is incredible at how God responds to Moses here. Here's what he says. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now I want to park there for a second because this response by God is fascinating. First off, I think it's great to see and it's so cool to see how this is the first time in scripture that God actually refers to himself by name. As he's interacting with Moses, he's like, hey, listen, I am who I am. And so here we get a glimpse of this, this name of who God is. And we'll talk about this here a little bit more in a second. But I also think it's fascinating the context at which God responded to Moses. Because he's asking Moses to go set the Israelites free from slavery. And so when he goes to say, all right, uh, Israelites, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to rescue you out of slavery here. All right, come with me. And Moses is processing the doubt. He's wrestling with, okay, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know if I'm good enough. But as we think about the context that the Israelites were in, 
they would be experiencing this Egyptian culture where the Egyptians would be worshiping every god. God of fill in the blank. And so here, this, this response that, that God gives to Moses, he's like, I want you to go in and I want you to tell the Israelites that I am sent you. I'm not coming in as like the little G God that they're worshiping. Like, I am the God. I am has sent me to you. And what God is trying to do is to show Moses that, listen, when you think you cannot, I can. Now go. I am with you. And even after Moses sees this incredible response from God, he continues on. And he continues to doubt. He continues to make this excuse. And so here's the third excuse that Moses makes in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me. And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. He's basically thinking to himself, all right, people are not going to take me seriously. Going in to say, I am sent me, he's doubting what God is asking him to do. And I love how, again, God responds. Because this time he's like, all right, don't take my words for it. In verse 18, he already tells Moses that he's like, listen, they will listen. But now he's just not giving him words. He now shows Moses firsthand by performing three powerful miracles, showing Moses directly that, hey, these three things are going to take place. And these three miracles I'm going to perform through you to not only prove to you that I'm with you, but also that the Israelites can see that I am the one who sent you. He's like, all right, well, he continues to doubt. And he continues to make another excuse. And now I think it's getting pretty ridiculous. Because Moses, I think, is digging deep. He's searching deep for excuses now. And I think he's getting kind of petty because this is what he says here in verse 10. He says, I've never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Really? You're going to pick on the way you talk now? That's going to stand in the way of going to free the Israelites? He's basically saying, hey, I am not good with words. And I love how God responds to him this time because I bet you God's like, all right, enough is enough, right? He asks this question. He says, who gave human beings their mouth? This guy, right? He's like, I did, right? It's, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. It's like, come on, Moses, enough is enough. Just go. I'm with you. And finally, in verse 13, Moses reveals his heart. He reveals his heart by saying, God, please send someone else. His final excuse is like, I don't want to go, I'm not willing. And now we're getting to the core. We're seeing what's going on in Moses' head and in his heart. As Moses was wrestling with his insecurities, as he was wrestling with his inadequacies, what he was doing is he was giving more power to those than he was God. He was putting all of this power into what was going on in his own narrative and forgetting the power of God. And these excuses that he made, 
He kept making them because he felt like he wasn't capable of being the person to set the Israelites free. And he wasn't willing to take the power off of himself and put it onto God. I love how God responded in that second excuse. He basically looked at Moses and says, bro, it's not about you. Buddy, trust me. It's not about you. Lean in on me. I am going to be with you. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Even after Moses had this clear identifier of who God is, that he is the I am, Moses still doubted. He still wrestled. He still found all of the excuses to not go. And I think what's a challenge as we look at this story, I think we tend to do the same thing. We will, we will allow our adequacies to have more power over us than the power of God in our own lives. We will allow the power of our inadequacies to have control over our narrative. And I get it. Because I'll be honest, as I look at Moses and his upbringing and the life that he lived, I'm like, oh my, I can fully relate to him. I can understand why Moses reacted the way that he did. I, I, I understand that like, okay, man, Moses as a child abandoned by his mom, not necessarily by her choice, but the circumstance. I get abandonment. I remember when I was 12 years old, after my parents had divorced, my mom uh, and I uh, moved out, and it was a handful of months between uh, the day we left and when I heard from my dad again, he reached out and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to get some time with Todd. Could, could we meet? And I remember being on the phone with my dad, and we were kind of working out, uh, you know, the logistics of when we were going to get together. And so we agreed that Friday after school, I would walk down to the restaurant in my hometown, and we would meet over a meal. I remember that Friday, I was super excited to see him. It had been a couple of months uh, since I had last seen or heard from him. And so I walked down after school, got it to the restaurant, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Four hours went by, and my dad never showed. I didn't know that when I was on the phone with my dad a couple days before, that that was going to be the last time that I heard from my dad in 15 years. Guys, those four hours, they created some wounds, they created me some pain. They created doubt. They created embarrassment. And even so, waiting there for four hours, I still wrestled with how my dad not showing up was my fault. And so I get what Moses was feeling. I get what was going through his mind. I understand how that affected him. And how that translated into Moses needing to live in secret, I get that. Because I realized that I had to keep to myself what I experienced that day because I didn't want people to discover my pain. I didn't want people to see that my, my home life was falling apart. 
that my insecurities increased. (laughs) Every single time, every year that went by. And then Moses being asked to be the the one to lead the Israelites and to be asked to lead anybody else in my life, I understood that that was a big hurdle for him to cross. Because I know for me, I'm like, how am I supposed to lead other people when I'm not fully capable of leading myself? All right, Moses, I got you. I see where you're at. To see God as a redeemer was a foreign concept to me. To see God as this heavenly father I couldn't grasp it because I didn't have an example here on earth for me. My mom, who was a a godly woman, incredible mother, she couldn't provide what I needed there. And so what I did is I had to take matters into my own hands. And what I did was my narrative that I was writing for myself was that I had to work harder to get by on my own. I had to work harder for the approval of others. I had to work harder to make it seem like my life was all good. But here's the truth. I was given way too much power to my inadequacies and not to God in my life. I was too focused on the I cannot statements rather than relying on the true I am. God revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. And and, in the same way, Jesus reveals the power of who he is because of the cross. God lavished his grace time and time again to Moses. Excuse after excuse. He filled the void. He filled the holes that that Moses was creating. And Jesus does the exact same thing for you and I. By when he went to the cross, redeeming and forgiving us for inadequacies. God used Moses. So much so Moses was the one to free the Israelites out of slavery. And it wasn't by Moses' power. It was by I am, by God. And God met me in my journey and provided me time and time again with his grace. I remember thinking to myself, I'm not good enough. There's no way that I could possibly lead other people. There's no way that I could do anything in ministry. There's no way that I could be a husband or a father because I didn't have that example here. How am I supposed to lead others when I can't deal with the mess in my own life? And God met me where I was. And time and time again, he showed me that he was with me. And he did so, he used his redeeming power in my life by allowing others to meet me in every single phase of my life. And it's hard to see it when you're in the midst of it. When you're in the trenches of life, it is hard to look back and see, or or when you're in it to see it. But when you look back, you see that he was with us always. And so as we wrestle with who we are, my desire for us is to understand that our inadequacies have no power over us. That power is found in Jesus and him alone in understanding that Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood. It is God's, God lavishing his grace on us. And knowing that Jesus is the redeemer, we are redeemed. There is no story. There is no past 
that God cannot and will not redeem. And so I encourage us to think about Jesus as the redeemer. This is the ultimate example of redemption. Jesus going to the cross. And this is why Paul alluded to this in Ephesians chapter one, where Paul talked about the hope in verses 18 and 19. This hope is available to us who believe, believe that Jesus went to the cross for me. Do you believe that Jesus is the redeemer? This is what I want us to do. This is, this is heavy stuff. Because we're, we're kind of processing the past. We're processing who we are. That hurts sometimes. And so I'm going to invite the band to come out. And as they get settled in, I just want us to, to have some space to kind of think about this a little bit. To process Jesus as the redeemer. And so here's the first question that I want you to think about. What inadequacies are you giving more power to than Jesus? What inadequacies are you giving more power to than him? Is it relationship struggles? Is it addiction? Is it the approval of others? What inadequacies are you giving more power to than Jesus? The second question is this. Have you ever surrendered your inadequacies over to him? After we identify maybe what those areas are, have you ever surrendered them? Jesus is the redeemer. Do you believe that? Because God desires us to draw near to him and he also desires us to experience the freedom from our past. And so have you surrendered those areas over to him? And lastly, what steps do you need to take right now to take the power away from your inadequacies? Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Like I said, it can, be, it can be painful a little bit to think about the past. And so maybe for you, the first step is begin talking about it. I encourage you, whether it's a pastor out in the lobby or someone who you see in the band or even maybe the person who greeted you at the door tonight, encourage you to find someone to start talking about some of these areas, these inadequacies that we're experiencing. Maybe it's connecting your heart to God's heart. Maybe that's through prayer. Maybe that's through opening up God's word and understanding who he is. And maybe for some of us, it's understanding what a relationship with Jesus looks like and to start that relationship with him for the first time. Maybe you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you have a relationship with him but yet you are still holding on to the past. You're still holding on to those inadequacies that is influencing the narrative of our lives. I encourage you to do that. Process these questions as the band plays. Just wanna give you some space. And I also want you to know that we're not meant to live this life alone. And so if there is any way that myself or we as a staff or, or even our volunteers can come alongside of you to process these things, we'd love to do that.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth of who you are, the redeeming power of you, Lord. God, thank you for going and sending your son to this earth that he would go to the cross to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, allowing us to experience redemption, to be bought back so that we can be with you again. Lord, I ask as we process this, as we think through, Lord, help us understand what we're giving too much power to in our lives and that we can give these inadequacies over to you tonight. Lord, be with us. We pray this in your name.